I thought, friends, I would, I'm a total Enneagram too, if anyone's familiar with Enneagram. So I was like, I want them to like know me a little bit. I want to know them. So I just thought I would just tell you a little bit more about me. And before we get started, just high level, what I'm all about, what I do, other than loving the 90s. <laughs> I already feel at home. Um, but I am a Bay Area girl, born and raised. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm from San Jose. Anyone? <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, I'm from San Jose, born and raised. I went to UC Davis for college about a decade ago, which feels like yesterday. Um, And then after college, I actually moved to the city. I lived in Lower Pack Heights for four years. Loved it here. This feels still like home. I uh, worked as a content writer for a tech startup in the Twitter building. Um, And so I still come here probably like two, three times a month. My best friend lives here. San Francisco feels like it will be home one day if I can afford a home here. That's like a goal. God, please. (laughs) Um, But I love San Jose. So just a little bit. Yeah, that's about me. And um, work-wise, I work at my church, like Pastor Mickey said, at Awakening Church in San Jose. Um, We are turning 10 this September. Yeah, it's awesome. I've been there for six years. January exactly has been six years. And we meet at a high school. We don't have a building. So like you guys were just, yeah, we've been in a high school, but it's really, really fun. And the Lord is doing a lot. Um, And I actually just on last Tuesday was officially commissioned and ordained as an official pastor. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've been operating in an events, marketing, communications role for the first four years. The last two were more shepherding, pastoral. And then through a pastoral process, our lead pastor took me through, was officially commissioned and ordained on Tuesday. So this is special. So I'm so glad to be here. And um, like Pastor Mickey said, you know, a lot of my role and the reason I kind of joked we're still debating the title is um, I love discipleship. That's just my heartbeat is discipleship. And so I was really fighting for that to kind of be in my title with formation. Um, And I really believe strongly in the power of community and how that impacts and transforms our formation. Amen. Yeah, and I just, yeah, and I, I love that when Pastor Mickey reached out doing this formation series, I thought it was so perfect to come in and share about community because really what I do at my church is this internal language we use is like helping someone go from front door to family. And I love that. And that's just my, I, I know how awkward it can be to be alone at a church and not know anybody. And yeah, just that heartbeat of like, how can you enter our front door, feel seen, feel loved and leave feeling like family or, or want to become family right with us. Um, and so yeah, I, that's, I, that's my heartbeat for community. So I'm excited to dive in. So I'm just going to pray again um, and dive in really quick. Lord, Thank you for just um, saturating this space with your spirit. God, I thank you for the people in this room right now, and I believe, God, you have a word for them, Lord, for 99 as a church. And God, we thank you for this series, for formation. God, we thank you that there's no other love as great as yours, like that song said, God. So we just bask in your love, and Holy Spirit, I just pray, move me aside, and you speak through me, God. It's about you and not about me. In your name, amen. 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 Okay, so I wanted to kick this off by making it a little interactive. No need to raise your hand or anything, but just I want you to ponder this question. I want you to think about if you can think of one, two, maybe three people in your life who you would consider a good close friend. Does someone immediately come to mind? It's okay if not. Does a few people come to mind? A few faces? Or does it take a little bit longer to think of that, that answer? And then I want you to think about with those people in mind, if you have any, what is it about them that makes them a good or close friend? Is there a certain memory that comes to mind? Maybe something about their character. Maybe a season in your life that they've walked you through, 
right? What is it about them? So hold on to that. And as we're holding on to that concept of friendship, I want us to look at something Aristotle once said about friendship. Aristotle said that there were three types of friendship, that the first two are a little bit more unintentional or coincidental, and the third is more intentional, right? So I want to dive into all three of those. So the first is what he calls a friendship of utility, friendship of utility. In this kind of friendship, one or both parties receive some sort of mutual benefit in exchange. Right? I want you to think about if you really admire someone in your life who's good at guitar, right? and you want to learn guitar. And so in your hangouts with them, in that friendship, you're trying to glean that skill, right? that utility of learning guitar. I think about you know, people who maybe at work, maybe there's someone that you at work that you admire their skill set in the corporate world. And as you're networking with them, you want to grow in that skill set, right? That's a friendship of utility. Awesome. The second is what he calls a friendship of pleasure. And it's just that, a friendship of pleasure. In this friendship, there is um, entertainment. There's fun. There's a spontaneity. Um, I think about, again, not to make another Enneagram joke, but any Enneagram sevens in the room? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Friendship of pleasure. There we go. Your pastor. <laughs> so I think about, if you don't know that joke, um, Another example of a friendship of pleasure, if you are, let's say, in an intramural basketball team or like a sports team, right, and you have fun playing these game, this sport together, um, if you nerd out on board games or Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> you enjoy playing games together in the basement. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of basement. I just thought of like stranger things. <laughs> so maybe not the basement. Do people have basements anymore? Okay, on the coffee table. You get my point. But that's a friendship of pleasure. And with this friendship, normally what Aristotle says is if your taste or your preferences change, the friendship might end, right? Usually it doesn't go far, far past that. It could, but usually it doesn't. And so this third kind of friendship that he talks about that he says we, could, we should actually try to cultivate is a friendship of virtue. Friendship of virtue. This is built with intention and based on a mutual appreciation of character rather than a transactional value, right? And so he notes that there could be overlap in these friendships, but really I want us to think about this friendship of virtue. Like, What is that? And I think Aristotle is so wise, obviously. He's a genius, he's a philosopher, but as Christ followers, our ultimate source of wisdom is Jesus Christ, amen? And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, well, what would Jesus say about this? Like, What would Jesus do? What would he say about this? And I, I think if we look at virtue through the lens of Jesus, it would be looking like Jesus, right? Someone who looks like Jesus. It's disciples and Christ followers, someone who looks like him, being his disciple. You know, I remember when I was 10 years old, that's when we became Christians, I asked my mom, Mom, what makes us look different as Christians than other religions? And for context, I'm Iranian-American. My parents are immigrants. And coming from um, an Islamic background, we were pretty agnostic, but coming from an Islamic background, I became Christian at 10. My parents were 40. It was a very big deal to convert. It was met with a lot of opposition even in our family. Um, and so it was that question, not in a theological sense, but even in just like a day-to-day -day sense of why do we look different, that mattered, right? Like that mattered. Why are we choosing to do this? And I'll never forget what my mom said. She said, what makes us look different is the fruit that's produced in our lives. The, fruits, the fruit that's produced in our lives. And I love that. And it made me think about this verse in Philippians where Paul says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. 
I love that. And I love that may you, as I was just reading through this commentary, it was not only is the you to you and I individually, this was to the church as a collective. So I want you to read that even through the lens of you guys, you 99 as a church, may you as a church be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus. And when I think about the righteous character, that phrase, I think about this sense of like fervency, right? Like steadfastness in our walk with the Lord. And this morning, I, I want to center this time around this truth that Christ-centered community is the context in which this righteous character is developed in our lives, right? Christ-centered community, that's the context in which righteous character and fruit is developed. The friendships that you and I choose, the friend that we are to other people, this produces the life of Christ in you and I. And it happens on a Sunday, but friends, it happens outside of Sunday as well. So that's really what I want to hone in on. And Pastor Mickey alluded to this in last week's sermon. So we're going to talk about what community looks like outside of church as well. And I thought, who could we learn better from than Paul, our friend Paul in the New Testament, and specifically his community? I want us to look at two of Paul's best friends. And I think these are two men in the Bible that don't often get a lot of airtime. As I was preparing for this message, I realized, yeah, I don't think I've really heard a sermon on these two people. And their names are so similar. It's kind of uncanny. Their names are Epaphras and Epaphrodites. (laughs) Very similar. So I'm going to do my best to distinguish them as clearly as possible. But um, yeah, I I don't know about you guys. When I used to read like in the epistles, you know, the parts in the beginning or the end, I kind of used to gloss over where Paul would be like, praise be to Theopolis, da-da-da-da-da. Like these like side notes and I'd be like why is this in there like, I, I can just gloss over get to like you know the good part the meat and then the more I was studying just God's word and diving deeper into theology I realized oh my gosh this is intentional like these are intentional almost like breadcrumbs that Paul leaves for us to really look at like here's who was in his life and here's how he grew as a disciple right and who blessed him in his community so let's start with Epaphras so we meet Epaphras He's from Colossae, which is Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And as a refresher, Colossae might sound familiar because the book of Colossians was written to the Colossian church in Colossae by Paul. And so there isn't too much known about Epaphras before he meets Paul, but we know that in studying the text, he likely met Paul in Ephesus. He was trained by Paul and by Timothy, another one of Paul's friends, I know you guys know, in Ephesus before he returns home with this, I'm imagining just probably filled with so much knowledge and zeal for God's word and sharing the gospel, right? What Epaphras is most known for in his friendship with Paul is he played an instrumental role in planting the church of the, of the Colossae, the Colossian church. And fun fact, Paul never met the Colossians. Paul, who wrote this book in your Bible, he never met them. He was in prison. And so he sends his friend Epaphras as this missionary to send and deliver that message to the Colossians and really become like an early church planter for that church, which is awesome. And I just think about, wow, like we wouldn't have this book in our Bible if it wasn't for Epaphras. That's powerful, right? It's cool. So with that context, let's look at how Paul talks about his friend. And we see that Epaphras is actually bookended in this book in chapter one and in chapter four. And I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. I like to read different translations. So I list out a few different phrasing and different translations. Just, to, just I think it's just beautiful to hear the word read differently. So I'm going to start with the NIV. This is verse 1-7 in Colossians. Paul saying, you learned it, it being the gospel, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation in the, mission, in the message. He says, he was one reliable worker for Christ. I could always depend on him. I love that. It's hard to find dependable people, right, in this day and age. 
Then Paul concludes this letter by saying in chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you would stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. And to throw it back to King James, I love this. It says he is laboring fervently for you. I love that word fervent. And it's such a powerful word. And no pun intended. The word literally means having power. It means intensely devoted or being steadfast, right? His, his prayer for his church, for his people is steadfast. It's effective and devoted. And let's just, let's just break that down. Let's make some observations. What do we see here? I, I, see we, uh, we, I think we see this profile of someone who's faithful minister of Jesus, someone who's dependable and reliable, wrestling in prayer for the church body, for his brothers and sisters, and finally desiring maturity and firmness in faith, right? And I, I, can, I can imagine just as we see this profile of Epaphras, it's really clear there's probably a lot of fruit being produced in his life, right? There's a lot of fruit being produced. And as someone in Paul's inner circle, I'm sure Paul influenced him, but the other way around as well, Right. And I think about for us in community today, can you think of someone that maybe in your life or even at your church that when you're around them, they just kind of exude peace and you're just like, I want to be around you all the time. Like you, you exude peace. It kind of just, just kind of washes off of them. Right. Or maybe it's just a spirit of gentleness or joy. Their smile is just so engaging, right? You want to be around them. That is the question I want us to focus on. So who, if we were to profile that as Epaphras, who is an Epaphras in your life? Can you think of an Epaphras in your life? Do you have someone who's praying hard for you? Someone who's reliable, dependent, fervent in their pursuit of you, right, as a friend? Why is this important? As believers, we all need this. We desperately need this. We live in a a lonely world. We live in a world where the enemy is just trying to drown us in noise, right? I imagine for many of you living in the city here today, you're flooded with noise from sun, sun up to sundown, right? And we need this. We need people to speak into our lives. And therefore, we also need people to be allowed in to speak into our lives as well. And um, as I was thinking about this concept, I wanted to share actually a a personal story with you um, that I experienced this exact scenario with a girl at my church um, who I love dearly. And she's been like a, a little sister to me in faith for the last four years. And I've just been able to pour into her and disciple her in in our times together. And several months ago, we met up for coffee. I kind of had it on my heart to just take her out. It had been a a bit with quarantine and COVID. It just had been a season, right? And she was just struggling. And like many of us, that season of kind of feeling like God's distant. I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. And it's tough. And as we were there and she was just sharing and there was just kind of like a a block that she just felt with her and the Lord. And I kind of went into immediate like big sister mode. And I was like, I see so much in you. I want you to fight for your faith. Just kind of like one extra, right? And as I was just kind of being big sister mode, I realized that Yes, that was helpful, but maybe not in the moment. And, and I, she kind of just um, had a moment of pause. And I will never forget this posture. And she kind of just like looked down and was like kind of taking in what I was saying. And she was silent for a minute. And I hate awkward silences. But, but something in me was like, Nassim, it's not awkward. You're just saying it. It's not. It's a silent moment. And that's fine. And as she was, as she was silent, um, she looked up at me like about a minute later with tears streaming down her face. And she said, you say you see so much in me. What do you see in me? Like, what do you see in me? 
And that just like wrecked me. And I just loved her humility and that childlike purity in that moment. It's not so many of us. God, like, what do you, what do you see in me? And as I, as, as I, she just said that, I was like, oh my goodness. And I was able to just spend the next few minutes just exhorting her and encouraging her and spurring her on of like, here's what I see in you. Here's what God sees in you. Like, let me just speak life into you. And it was just such a powerful moment. And I thought, man, we need this, right? We need, we need that humility. And we also need people to speak into our lives like that, especially in this day and age. And I'll never forget even how that time ended as we were leaving. There was another moment of pause. And as, as she paused again, I just was like, yeah, what are you processing? How are you feeling? And she was like, she just smiled. And she was like, I'm just thinking I don't want this moment to end. And I'm so glad you asked me to get coffee. And I will never, ever forget that power of that moment. And friends, as a church, we are called to do that for our brothers and sisters, right? We are called to do that. As a prophet prayed fervently for his, the church to remain firm and mature, that is what we're called to do, right? That's how firmness is developed in each other. And I really believe, guys, that sometimes we can see glimpses of God at work in someone's life before they can see it or when they can't see it, right? We see those glimpses, and we got to call it out. So I want to encourage you guys tell each other, encourage each other. Like, here's what I see in you, right? Let's be voices that speak the truth of God over one another, especially when others can't feel it. And I think, you know, this is why this is one of my biggest passions in ministry is small group ministry. And I mentioned discipleship, but really I see small group as so much more than just like a hangout during the week. You know, I think some people might think it just ends there. Like, yeah, I want friends. I want to, you know, like hang out, but it goes so much further past the friendship of utility and pleasure, right? There's just a sense of, I believe life change happens in community centered around Jesus. There's transformation that God does when you live life in accountability with one another, when you're able to just be like, Hey, I'm not feeling God. I'm feeling distant and people can just speak, right? That maturity and that fervency is developed. And so I want to encourage you, this is not just a shameless plug, but as Pastor Mickey said, take your next step and and join a community group this winter, guys. Like this is just, it's vital to our faith. Honestly, I would say that it is vital to our faith to be in community and one another. So take that next step. And as you're processing Epaphras, before we get to Epaphrodites, I want to leave you guys with reflection questions at the end of each person we're studying. I really think that, you know, you can listen to this sermon today and might forget it tomorrow. I hope not. But I think there's a, there's a beauty in kind of that reflective posture. So if you remember these or want to take a picture or write it down or whatever, but I want you to reflect on this this week. Who are you fervently praying for? Who are you fervently praying for? And then the inverse, which is just as important, who is fervently praying for you? Have you let people in to do that for you? And similarly, who are you speaking life to? And are you letting others speak life over you? Right? It's the both. Both are just as important. And church, this needs to be said that I could do a whole other sermon about the, the wisdom and discernment it takes to let people in. That's a whole other message. And I'm very passionate about that. But I did want to leave you just with three practical things to look for as you're maybe processing, like, where do I even start? Like, how do I know who to let in? And just some discernment and wisdom that I leave you with are, are three P's, just like a typical pastor doing alliteration. But <laughs> I want you to look for someone in your life, number one, who's present with you. Someone in your life who's present with you. Like when they're with you, they're with you. They're attentive to you. They're not looking at their phone. They're not like my next appointment's in 30 minutes, right? They're an observer in your life. And hey, maybe they're able to spot a pattern in your life that you don't see, right? And, and you with humility can like receive that. Presence. Second, patient. Look for someone in your life who's patient with you. Someone who's not looking just to jump in with their own advice, 
or to make it about them. Well, in my opinion, da da da, right? Or in my, but they're just patient. They're listening. They're letting you vent. They're letting you share. And finally, and I think most importantly, someone pointing you back to God's truth. Right? We live in such a day and age where self-help and, you know, just worldly wisdom is like the name of the game. Like I read this article in this book, but who's pointing you back to God's word? Right? Like when people are giving you wisdom, is that word scripturally aligned with what Jesus would say? Right? Are they pointing you back to scripture to be rooted in scripture? Presence, patience, and pointing you back to God's word. All right. That's Epaphras. So now let's move on to Paul's second friend. Does anyone remember his name? There we go. Come on. We're, we're awake. We're here. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to Epaphrodites. Okay. So Paul's second friend, Epaphrodites. So we meet him in the book of Philippians. So right next to, right next to Colossians. So this was one of Paul's friends. We are introduced to him in the book of Philippians. And this is modern day Greece. During this time, to set some historical context, it's very fascinating. Paul was in Rome in prison awaiting his trial before Caesar. And Paul, being Paul, being how amazing he is, as he's waiting to be on trial, he's also deeply concerned for the spiritual well-being of this church in Philippi. So in his concernness, in his just amazing Paulness, another beautiful messenger and missionary, Epaphrodites, is who he sends to carry the letter of the Philippians to Paul, right? Again, Philippians is in your Bible because of Epaphrodites. How cool is that, guys? And I, I think about the ways in which we kind of put Paul on a pedestal. And rightfully so, Paul's amazing. But then I think this is another beautiful picture of community where there's so many people underneath Paul that help the mission come to life, right? Like underneath Paul, Epaphras, Epaphrodites, maybe hundreds of other people who in community, they made this mission come to life. Now, I want us to look at the context here. So when Epaphrodites delivers this letter, the church wants to send money, financial support to Paul in prison just to support him, right? There's no Venmo during this time. <laughs> There's no Zelle. There's no wire transfer. None of that. This was a trek. This was an on-the-foot journey that Epaphrodites had to go through. And this was actually a 729-mile journey on foot. This most likely would have taken 57 days. <laughs> and let's not forget, these people were not in a rush. They honored their Sabbath. So once a week, they're Sabbathing. They're stopping their journey. They're just chilling before the Lord. So historians say this probably was a two-month journey that Epaphrodites went on. So imagine, he brings the money to Paul in prison where he's awaiting trial. The scripture says he almost dies, which we will get to in a moment. And then Paul decides, man, you're such an asset to this church. I'm sending you back. So he literally sends him back. <laughs> so that's what an amazing shepherd and leader and friend Epaphrodites was. So let's look at the text. This is five verses long. Hang with me. It's a little bit long, but I, there's so many little nuggets here that I want us to look at. And I underlined a few things I want you to focus on. So Philippians 2, 25 to 30. Paul saying, I think it's necessary to send you back Epaphrodites, my brother, my co-laborer and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and he is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you would be glad and I would have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. 
So let's look at this text. Notice that there's so many references here to him almost dying, right? You might be wondering what happened to Epaphrodites on this trek. Now, I want you to think about, we don't know the exact season this trek was made in. So if this was winter, think about weather conditions. Think about not having, maybe even knowing where your lodging was going to be, like sleeping in the cold. Not knowing where you would get your next meal. Perhaps getting food poisoning, being malnourished. Not to mention traveling with a large sum of money. There were bandits and thieves on the road. It was a dangerous trek. So all those things combined, we know that he almost died, right? And so I look at this friendship. I'm like, this is not a friendship of utility or pleasure, right? This is just straight up friendship of like, he just risked his life for God, believing in the calling and in his ministry partner in Paul, right? And I, I love how I have to say this. I love how real the Bible is when it comes to emotion. The fact that Paul is so vulnerable. He says like, I'm sending him back that I would have less anxiety, right? Like how real is that? It makes me think about the people in my life that just feel like home to me, right? That just like, yeah, I have less anxiety when you're around. I love that Paul includes that. It almost humanizes him in a way. Like he's just like us. And so looking at this friend, a brother a co-laborer and fellow soldier. That's what I want us to focus on. I think oftentimes, see, when we make friends, maybe even you guys now, I think as millennials or Gen Z living in a city like San Francisco, it's easy to feel like, okay, I just need to make friends so I'm not alone, right? Like, and where do I make friends? It is hard to make friends, right? Being single, working, like whatever, it is difficult. And I think oftentimes, do we look at our friendships through that lens of utility or pleasure, right? I think I'm guilty of that. And as we look at Epaphrodites, I want us to look at these three lenses. I want to encourage you, as you're thinking about the friends in your life or the people you might pursue in the future in your community, look for a brother, someone who could become a brother or sister, a co-laborer and a fellow soldier, right? I want, to, I want us to break that down a little bit. So as a brother or sister, I think about the words rugged commitment, judgment-free, right? If, if you have a sibling and if you have a healthy relationship with them, hopefully, there's this sense of like, you can say anything and it's okay. You still have to love me, right? <laughs> there's this rugged commitment to one another. And as I think of a brother or sister in faith, I think of speaking the truth in love, right? Speaking the truth in love when we need it and allowing people with humility to just say it and for us to receive it with humility. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says about speaking the truth in love. Why else then has God bestowed Christian brotherhood upon us? Why else? So that in faith, the humble person will stick both to truth and to love. He will stick to the word of God and let it lead him to his brother or his sister because he sees nothing for himself and has no fears for himself. He can help his brother through the word of God. Amen. So powerful. So as a brother or a sister, and then as a co-laborer, I think of someone working towards the same goal, right? Someone who's maybe serving along with you, not a literal coworker, but who is on mission with you. I want to encourage you guys to think about that. Each of you in this room, I believe God's created you with intrinsic value and purpose. You have a purpose that's far beyond what you do or what you have or any of that. God's created you with something inside you for his kingdom, to further his kingdom. You have purpose. So what are you doing with that purpose? Maybe it's, maybe one of you has a heart for outreach and, you know, social justice or evangelism or volunteering. Maybe you serve within this church in hospitality or coffee or whatever right? Use those gifts for his kingdom, but also look to your left and to your right. And and who's co-laboring alongside you, right? Live life on mission with those people. Invite them into your ministry and what you're doing. 
I think of even, as Pastor Mickey mentioned, our cohort that we're in at Sea Rock Sessions. It is so powerful. Over the last six months, we've met about 100 pastors internationally who are doing this alongside with us, who are pastoring with us. And this past Thursday on Zoom, we're talking about the stress of being a pastor, right? Like the hardship of being a pastor. Like it's hard. And to have those co-labors alongside with us, it's a gift. It's like just, it's so vital to my faith and to my well-being. Um, and for you guys as well who are maybe not in ministry, right? Whatever your purpose is or your mission, who is co-laboring with you? And finally, and I would argue most importantly, your fellow soldiers. Now, this language, soldier, it might sound kind of like interesting, right? Soldier, Paul didn't serve in the Roman army, so we know that this is metaphorical language. It's referring to being on mission together in the spiritual battle we are in, right? And friends, we are, unfortunately, we live in a dark world that's corrupted by Satan, and we are in a battle every single day. And we have an enemy that is smart and cunning and wants to lie to us. And I believe one of the biggest ways he lies to us is isolating us. He wants to isolate us out of community. And I think about these dumb lies that sound so real, right? Like, you don't have time in this season. You don't have time for a small group. You're busy with work. You can't. Or you can't tell your group you're struggling with this sin, right? Like, they can't know that they're judging you, right? All right, this is just a busy season for me. I can't invest in people. It's just how he lies. And, and the more that he does that, the more isolated someone comes, the more destructive that sin pattern becomes, the more destructive that isolation becomes, that kind of pit of despair we get drawn into, and Satan loves that. And so I really believe, guys, as fellow soldiers, we're able in our communities to speak out the truth of Scripture over those lies, right? We're able to speak truth of who God is and who he's made us to be over our community when we feel just trapped in that web of despair. And it's so important We are able to wage war against Satan's lies by the voices of truth, right? Because we know that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Satan does not have the final say. We have that power in us, right? But we have to, again, be those voices. And that happens when we opt into community. And so I want you to think again here about these reflection questions for Epaphrodites. Simply put, those three lenses, brother or sister, co-laborer and fellow soldier, View your friendships through those lenses, right? Can you pursue someone in your life who could be those three things to you? Maybe you have that person. And maybe, you know, something we joke about at Awakening is, like, we always say our small groups, like, we'd never be friends in real life. Like, outside of being kind of matched together, like, you guys all look, you feel different than me. We're all from different walks of life. And yet there's this beauty and this power in just being believers and, you know, doing life alongside each other and the Holy Spirit work that he does when we're just sitting, diving into God's word together. Amen? It's powerful. And so, friends, I, I mentioned earlier being Iranian-American, um, that is a big part of my um, identity. I have just, yeah, a big part of my just context of who I am. And I speak Farsi, and being bilingual, something that I love is teaching my non-Persian friends phrases in Farsi. And if you speak another language, you might understand this, that there's something cool about certain phrases in different languages that don't have an English equivalent, right? They just don't. And there's like a depth and almost like a poetic nature to those phrases. So I want to teach you one as we're about to close. And it's the phrase, Jot Khali. You want to say it with me? Jot Khali. Love it. The K-H. Good. You guys got it. Jot Khali. (laughs) And so what this means, if I were to just give kind of like the English translation for it, it would be, if we were all hanging out and Pastor Mickey was like, Nassim, how was your hangout last night? Like, it was good. You weren't there. Jot Khalibu. Like, we missed you, right? Like, we missed you. And really, the beauty of this phrase, it doesn't mean we just missed you. The depth of what it means is I want you to just picture with me like a dinner party. Six table, six chairs around a table. And 
you weren't there, right? And so when I tell you Jat Khali, it means that the chair that you would have occupied, your space was literally void by you not being there. And, and that is just, that's really the depth of what it means is your space was void. And I was, I was praying for you guys, church. I just felt like that's a word for someone here today. Maybe for all of us here today, whatever maybe context that you're kind of opting out of right now, like your space is void right now. Maybe your prayers are what's keeping someone at bay, right? Maybe your presence for someone, maybe your smile for someone, that's what's keeping them going through the toughest season of their life. And they might never tell you. And I want to encourage you to opt in. I want to encourage you to opt in whatever that context of community. Maybe it looks like just showing up here on a Sunday, saying hi to someone, showing up five minutes early and just saying hi to new people. Maybe it looks like in your small group, just being like, hey, I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you, right? And I wonder if looking at Epaphrodites, maybe Paul discerned this too over him, right? When he sends him back to Philip, Philip, the church in Philippi, maybe he sensed that. Maybe he's like, they need you, Epaphras, Epaphrodites. I'm going to send you back there. And church, as we close this morning, the most important thing that I pray if you get anything out of this message is that this is not a sermon about be a good friend or find a good friend. We cannot do any of this apart from Jesus Christ. None of it. Like this is all the fruit that's produced in us through Jesus Christ. And let's go back to Philippians 1, right? It's in him. It's through the Holy Spirit that that fruit is matured in us. That's when our righteous character grows. We cannot be friends of virtue without Jesus Christ. And so if you know Jesus, then I want to encourage you to let him be that first. Just let him be that friend to you. Let him be that fervent, faithful friend to you. And just even acknowledge that he is that to you first. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to explore getting to know him as your friend first. He wants to be your friend. And I just want to ask you to close your eyes with me, church. And I just want to pray over us and pray this kind of in a reflective way as you guys are sitting with this. I just want to speak a little bit of truth over you first as you're just take a moment to pause. Just close your eyes and take a breath. (laughs) Maybe you've had a week and I just want to invite you to take a breath. And just, we just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our first friend. Jesus, thank you that you love us with a love like no other love, God. And Lord, that it's only in you that we can be that kind of friend to other people, Lord. And so, God, I want to just pray over my church family right now, Lord. Maybe there's someone in this room that they just, their first step is just even like accepting you as their friend, Jesus. We pray that they'd find you that they'd know you deeper, Lord. And God, I pray for others in this room. Maybe you need to let people in to be that friend. Commitment's hard. Letting people in is hard. Being vulnerable is hard. And Lord, I just pray over my brothers and sisters in that space right now that you would just break down walls, that you would break down barriers. I pray for a spirit of humility to just cover my brothers and sisters today, Lord. And, And in that humility, would you bring forth friendships, God? Would you bring forth Epaphrodites and Epaphrases, Lord? And God, finally, I want to pray for the person I just sense who's been hurt. The person that's been hurt by people, Lord. And God, we know how heartbreaking that is. And Lord, I just pray, God, that in your grace, there would be almost like this, like, rebirth. There would be this, like, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and try again and let people in, just trusting that your spirit will protect them, because you will, Lord. And God, I pray over just 99 as a whole church, Lord, I pray that they would be a body of Christ that has righteous character. 
God, I pray that the fruit that is born out of this church would impact the whole city, that it would just go outward, Lord. And God, I pray also just for this church that they would be friends to one another as well, God. Lord, let them be brothers, sisters, co-laborers, and spiritual warriors to one another, God. Lord, we just say thank you. And yeah, God, I just pray as we worship right now that we would just reflect on this truth. That we would just take a minute to just pause and be like, wherever you guys are at, just pray to the Lord and seek him. And yeah, Lord, I finally just pray that there would be a sense of like making room for you to move. Like whatever the Lord wants to speak to you about your community today, make room. And Spirit, we just yield to you. We invite you in and just say thank you for your word. And you're going to keep moving. So we're going to keep praying and worshiping you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.